This podcast may include adult content. Welcome to Bound Off, a literary audio broadcast. In this edition, we have two stories. The Devil Haunts a Hungry Man by Andrew Thomas Weems and Wrestling Walter Benjamin by Michael K. Myers. Bound Off is always looking for great stories. Visit our website at boundoff.com to find our submission guidelines. Also, we're well into our fifth year of free short story podcasts. If you like what you hear, please head over to iTunes and leave us a nice review. The Devil Haunts a Hungry Man Written and read by Andrew Thomas Weems Listening time, 4 minutes, 47 seconds The Devil Haunts a Hungry Man By Andrew Thomas Weems As he neared the camp, the light from the campfires shone through the fog and brightened the rough path up ahead. Through the fog, he could see broken bits of glass, chunks of chert, and rusted tin cans half-buried in the wet red clay. Always the fog, he thought. If it would quit and it would rain, he could catch clean water to drink. If the sun would come out in the daytime, he could get warm. But it never would do either one. As he walked, he became aware that there was someone behind him. He didn't look back, but he could see the shadow beside him growing longer on the path and hear the sound of footsteps getting quicker and closer. He ducked under a jutting branch that hung over into the pathway and shoved it back with one arm as he passed. The shadow did the same. He felt for his knife in his trousers pocket. He was close enough to the camp now to hear men laughing and yelling, and the firelight was bright enough to see the trees to his left and the broken blacktop road to his right. A dark road at night, full of rats and snakes and potholes. He tried once to walk that road in the dark, and now he walked with a limp. A wooden power pole blocked his path. Its line hung slack across the blacktop. He stopped at the pole. The shadow stopped behind him. He felt a cold hand at the nape of his neck. He swung around and saw a dark figure in the dim light. The figure smiled and tried to say something, but before it could, he grabbed its face and slung it into the pole. The figure fell. It tried to yell something, and it tried to rise. He put his foot on the figure's throat and squatted down and felt around in the dark amid the chert and glass for its mouth. He found the big tent where the food was. He walked in. A man stood behind a slab of plywood. The plywood served as a counter. A lantern hung from a hat rack. Behind the man in the hat rack was a bookcase. The shelves were lined with cans. Most of the cans were bent or dented. Beans, he said to the man. Not for nothing, the man said. Got something to trade for it? Got this, he said. He took his knife from his pocket and tossed it on the counter. The man behind the counter picked it up and held it up to the light. He looked at the knife and then back at its owner. Looks like somebody gets some good use out of it, the man said. Just give me my can of beans and I'll get on, he told the man. The man set the knife back down on the counter. Can't use it, the man said. It's got stains on it. Stains, 
Got anything else? Do I look like I do? The man smiled. It's a hunting knife, I guess, ain't it? The man said. You must like to hunt. He reached in his other pocket and pulled out the tongue and opened his hand and let the man look at it. I don't like it when people talk too much, he said. He walked out of the tent with his can of beans. He passed a crowd of men gathered around a fire. They stared as he passed. He kept walking. He heard the man who had been behind the counter come out of the tent behind him. He heard the man yell to the crowd of men he had passed. He did not turn around, but he knew they had started toward him. He quickened his steps, but he didn't run. Something heavy and hard hit him in the spine. He grunted and fell forward on his knees and arms. He dropped the can of beans. The beans rolled away. They reached him and circled round him and kicked him. He lay with his arms wrapped about his head, grunting at every fresh kick. They cursed as they kicked. When they were finished kicking, they pulled his arms away from his head and dragged him by his arms through the dirt to the road. They threw him onto the road on top of a briar patch that grew from a crack in the blacktop. He rolled over. When he awoke, the sun was shining in his face through a crack in the clouds. The mist had lifted in the night, and it had begun to sprinkle. Andrew Thomas Weems hails from the southernmost foothills of Appalachia. He is a freelance journalist and studio harmonica player. In his spare time, he writes short stories, screenplays, and songs. Wrestling Walter Benjamin, written and read by Michael K. Myers. Listening time, 6 minutes, 48 seconds. Wrestling Walter Benjamin. I invent my wife. Sometimes, according to her, it's she who invents me. Then, depending on who's telling the story, one of us or both of us invent the rest of the world, although neither of us claim responsibility for Mrs. Hook, who lives in the apartment directly below ours and suffers from terminal happiness, her laughter keeping us awake most of the night. In my wife's hearts of hearts, I know she blames me for Mrs. Hook because all week she's nagged, saying, if you're responsible for the world and the Hook woman must be your doing so, erase her. I'm of the opinion that Mrs. Hook's happiness bewilders my wife, and I say, bewilderment, if taken in small doses, and of course not all the time, may be good for you, and I refuse to rub the Hook woman out. Well, my wife flew into a tizzy, but it was a small tizzy, and did little harm to the cutlery, or to me. Sometimes I die first, sometimes it's my wife. When reborn, we look different, and so it takes time to find each other. When she dies first, I stand on the sidewalk inquiring of every passing woman, Are you my wife? I ask. And are you my wife? Well, eventually, a woman stops. She looks me over carefully and says, Yes, I am your wife. Well, then I pick her up and I carry her home. And then I throw open thesis of the philosophy of history and we begin anew wrestling our way through Walter Benjamin. In bed, 
tossing and turning, unsuccessfully attempting to doze over the uproar of Mrs. Hook's happy cackles. I note that the hour hand has passed midnight, and we have entered the day of my wife's birth. My wife, I say, it is your birthday. Would you like me to make you? I think for a moment. A forest? But before she could answer if she was going to answer... I make a sample forest, nothing elaborate, just a small pine forest, but, and I hadn't considered this, the tree trunks, they're, they're, they're much too close together. And she says, some present, this is making me claustrophobic. Well, so I, I race the sample forest, and at the exact moment I do that, Mrs. Hook stops laughing. And I say, can I call that your birthday present? Well, she buries her head again under the pillow. With the dawn of my wife's birth finally arrived, I remain in bed, but unable to sleep, she is going into the basement to do laundry, where she learns from a gaggle of women gathered witch-like around the dryer that during the wee hours Mrs. Hook died. Shouting, assassin, assassin, she throws open the front door to our apartment straight away, goes for my face. She has some success before I manage to catch her with a good one, which settles things down. Well, the rest of the day of her birth, we spend thumbing through Walter Benjamin, seeking an absolute, some bottom line, the sub-basement of all human speculation. And then around 5.30 in the afternoon, defeated, we give it up and begin to drink heavily. My wife, I say, was it in Benjamin that I, I read that in the physical world everything has weight? Or, or did I pick that up somewhere else? Her face uh, registered a profound disagreement. And I say, wait. And I get a tomato from the fridge and throw it against the wall above the mantel, tipping over one of her decorative glass animals, the giraffe, the kangaroo, I don't know. Well, it shatters to shards on the floor. My wife, I say to her, you can count on that. At least that's one bottom line. That's one absolute, don't you think? Well, she runs for the kitchen. And hearing the refrigerator open, then slam shut, I beeline it to the bathroom, close and lock the door an instant before her tomato lands. What my wife does with the remaining hours of the day of her birth, I do not know because I remain locked in the bathroom. But before all the hours have passed, I am semi-forgiven for the destruction of what I learn is a glass antelope, although I know there remains a price to pay. Well, in bed again, minutes remaining in the day of her birth, she turns to me and says, My husband, while you were locked away in the bathroom, what did you do? Well, my, my wife, I tell her, while I was in the bathroom, I finished a chapter. I built an ark, and why not? Perhaps I had. And then, feigning curiosity, I ask, During the time I was locked away, what did you do? Propping herself up on two pillows, she thinks that over. My husband, she finally says, it's still my birthday, isn't it? I agree. So can I start from the beginning again? I agree. Then, okay, well then, um, let's see, she thinks. I got up very early, but of course, you knew that. Can I call that number one? It's your birthday. Okay. Then I went into the bathroom and brushed my teeth. Call that two. I do. Then... And I can't imagine how I forgot to tell you this. And you're not going to believe it. As I was brushing my teeth, the cat, our cat, brushed against my leg, purred, and I felt the, the floor arch beneath my feet. And my husband, the huge circumference moved. I felt it, the earth, I felt it move. And then, listen to this. 
filaments of celestial geometry crisscrossed through me, and in that instant I was connected with the inanimate as well as the animate world. And then pulling down the blanket and pointing to her tummy, she says, My tummy, right here, it began to glow, and the bathroom became so bright, I had to shield my eyes, and, and... Well, just then, and for the first time, Benjamin's angel of history, magnificent, wings spread wide its back to the future and facing the devastation of the past glides through the bedroom. My wife, I say, will you look at that? It's the angel of history. Open your eyes and see how far we have come. But already she has turned away from me, has buried her head, has gone inward, just as I then do or inside my head while shifting through layers of memory, reacquainting myself with myself and perhaps seeking the equivalent of bottom, I ease into the zone of Mrs. Hook, her laughter, which after minutes gives way to silence. Michael K. Myers teaches in the graduate writing program of the School of the Art Institute of Chicago. His work has appeared in Quick Fiction, Nano, Fringe, Mad Hatter's Review, Ninth Letter, Chicago Noir, The New Yorker, Fiction, and Chelsea. Museums worldwide have presented his performance art. Thanks for listening to this edition of Bound Off. Copyright Bound Off and the respective authors. All rights reserved. Visit our website at boundoff.com for information about our broadcasts and how to submit your stories.